Now, before we get into the content this morning, I want to invite Scott and Corey Schwartz to the stage. Does your daughter want to come? No, she says no. <laughs> Um, for those that were in the one Sunday school class, they shared about their ministry in New York. This is one of our missionaries that we support. So here's a microphone. And why don't you just briefly tell us what Life in the Messiah is for those that weren't in that class. Great. Am I on? Yes, I am. You are. Yes. Yeah, so Life in Messiah, we are the, actually the oldest Jewish ministry in North America. If you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, raise your hand. Yes. So at the end of the movie, you have the, the family, and they're in the mud, and it's cold, and the czar is kicking them out. And the one family member says, where are you going? I'm going to New York. Where are you going? I'm going to Chicago. Great. We'll be neighbors. And it was, that's the backdrop, the context of the beginning of Life of Messiah. It was William Blackstone saw the need uh, to reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel that was coming from persecuted Russia. And he reached out to them with the gospel. It was the Chicago Hebrew Mission. So it's about 128 uh, years old. We have missionaries all over the world, Israel, France, Canada, Mexico, and here in the And you are in New York. We are in Brooklyn, New York, little Israel. Okay. Yeah. So what are some of the critical issues facing the Jewish population living in New York? Yeah. So in New York, uh, unfortunately, someone asked in the Sunday school class uh, if there's still anti-Semitism. And there is still, unfortunately, anti-Semitism, and it's rising. And uh, worldwide, uh, we, we know we had that unfortunate incident in Paris. Um, so there, the rise of anti-Semitism, and also the issues between uh, the Israeli and Palestinian conflict. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of spills over to the world. And wherever there's a Jewish community, there's those issues. Now... You got a captive audience here. They're not supposed to get up and leave, okay? That's right. <laughs> what would you like to share? Uh, you know, what's on your heart? What's your passion um, for this sure. and for your life? Sure. Well, just to make a connection, I'm a Philly guy. I love the Eagles. If there's any. Oh, there's some Dallas fans here. But uh, I grew up in Broomall, so if you take 30 east, you'll get to the main line, and a little south of that is Broomall, so I grew up in the area. But, uh, yeah, our passion uh, is Paul's passion, is God's heart for the Jewish people. And Paul says in Romans 10, For I I bear them witness that they, the Jewish people, have a zeal for God, but it's not according to righteousness, uh, not according to knowledge. They, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness that comes by faith in Messiah. So they, I believe that uh, scripture speaks of the Orthodox Jew. And uh, there are uh, 2.5 million people in Brooklyn alone, 8 million in all of New York, and 600,000 Jewish people in Brooklyn. To give you a comparison, my wife is a Vermont girl, and uh, there are 650,000 people in Vermont alone. So there's almost as many Jewish people in Brooklyn than there is in uh, Vermont. But uh, we just have a heart to reach the lost sheep of the House of Israel through Bible studies, street outreach, discipleship, internet evangelism, and our, it's our burden. Our heart breaks uh, for the Jewish people to know that Jesus is their Messiah. Okay. Now, Corey, you've been quiet. Would you like to say anything? Well, one of the things we, as God started to place on our heart, the burden for the Jewish people, you know, sometimes you kind of ask, why? Why, why Lord? Um, it wasn't until we moved to New York that we found out that um, there are eight different people groups among the Jewish population and they're among the unreached of the world. We think of unreached people groups as in the jungles of Madagascar or um, across the ponds, but this is on our own soil. 
And it broke my heart that we were living in Vermont all these years and had no idea that this group of people had not had the opportunity to be faced with the gospel and to to choose. They had never heard it. So our heart and passion is to share that, the good news with these people who have not had a chance to see the scripture for themselves and to make a choice. Okay, well, thank you. Now, there's a table in the back that people want to talk to you. Yes, we have our prayer card here, and this is the old traditional ripping of the card. So on the, this is a picture of our family. So if you want to put that on your dartboard, throw darts, I'm kidding, or your fridge, and just tear this in half. On one side is a place to fill out your name and address or snail mail or email. But your church loves us enough that they print out our prayer letter and it's available. But if you want to get it to, uh, and get our updates, you can do that. And uh, we have free the bridge, which will help equip you uh, in Jewish evangelism and how to pray, effectively pray. So, now, it's interesting how you got a connection with us. Do you want to share that? Yeah, so Ruth Rexon. Anybody yeah. know Ruth? Yeah. She is so sweet, and uh, I just want to spend time with her, you know. Uh, she's a prayer warrior, and uh, she is retiring, and uh, so she said, the Schwartzes are coming to Brooklyn. So uh, she encouraged people that supported her and churches to transfer their support to continue to sow into Jewish ministry and to adopt us. So uh, you've adopted us. Yes. Yeah. So I appreciate that. It's a blessing. You've partnered with us and allow us to do the work of the ministry. We're very thankful. But that was all because of Ruth. It's all because of Ruth. And what a blessing that is. <laughs> I know. She's great. Well, thank you very yeah. much for sharing. Thank you. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Matthew chapter 5 or 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Life's all about desire. And the question I'd like to begin with this morning is, will we desire God more than anything else? Matthew 6.33, he kind of closes the sermon out by saying this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. Then all these things will be added to you. We know it to be true that when we allow our desires, and I'm going to use the word appetites as well because that's what desires are. When we allow those appetites to be dulled by other things, and the Bible calls them idols. Anything that we give our loyalty to, anything we give our attention to, anything we give our resources that God has blessed us with to... In lieu of who Christ is, are idols. And what they lead to is addictions. They lead to sin. It's interesting. I was talking with someone this past week, and they said, you know, it's, it's very common for all of us to admit that we're sinners. But we never get specific, do we? Listen to a vivid description of a people who allowed their desires, who allowed their appetites, who allowed their sin to be disconnecting them from God. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 2. Just listen to this. Has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, 
at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you see the picture? We are these pots that are broken, and while the water is being poured in, we cannot hold it. That's what sin, that's what other appetites, that's what anything else other than God does. It just drains away, it's never satisfied, and we keep going back to greater details. See, the first truth that we learn here this morning is that hunger and thirst exist until it's satisfied. Hunger and thirst is a basic need. If we don't get them, we starve and we dehydrate. Christ is called the living water. Jeremiah says if we don't attach ourselves to the living water, we are broken cisterns. It's like drinking salt water. The more we drink, the thirstier we get. And hunger and thirst are all-consuming passions. I was thinking this past week about a psychological disorder that that exists among the American people to a greater degree than it should. It's called anorexia. People who starve themselves and do not know it. They look in the mirror. They think they're fat. They think they're overweight. They think they're ugly. And they don't realize that they literally are dying in their bodies. And I can't help but believe that there are many anorexic Christians. They are starving, they are dehydrated, and they do not know it. Now I want to go to the end of the verse and begin with the blessing. If we do right by hungering, thirsting after righteousness, the blessing is that we will be satisfied. The word means to be full, to be filled, to be content. And again, we talk about this word blessed. It means to be happy. You realize the whole world is seeking happiness. That's not debated. Everybody wants to be happy. In fact, people say, I can only be happy if, and they fill this blank in and was tragic, even though they seek this happiness and get what they think they need, they never find it. Happiness is not the goal. Happiness is always a result of something or someone else. And what will bring this satisfaction? What will fill our hunger and thirst? What we hunger and thirst for is righteousness. Now, it's found five times in this sermon. There's almost 300 occurrences in the Old Testament and New Testament. It's an important word. So we have to ask ourselves, what is righteousness? I mean, what is he talking about here? What is it we're going to eat of? What is it we're going to drink of that in the final analysis will be blessed, will be satisfied, will be full? There's three aspects of righteousness according to Scripture. One is what we call legal righteousness. Another fancy theological term is justification. What it means is we are declared righteous by God through his son's sacrifice for us. The Swartzes were sharing about that, how many Jews are still trying to live by their own righteousness and they haven't received the righteousness given by Christ. We are made righteous, legal. We are justified by accepting the gift of his son. St. Augustine says, Thou madest us for thyself and our hearts are, not, our hearts are restless until it rests in thee. That's so true. 
When you study world religion, it doesn't matter which religion, if you were to go up and ask somebody, you're ask a Buddhist, what about the afterlife? How are you going to get there? And most every other religion, in fact, every other religion would say something like this. Well, I have to do more good here than bad. And of course, some religions, they get what's called reincarnation. They get to try it over and over and over again until they get it right. Do you understand that in world religion, Christianity is alone in the fact that it has a savior who makes us righteous? That is what sets us apart. That is what is unique about our religion. And so we go back to where we started. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Coming before Christ, we are destitute. We have nothing we can bring on our own. It is the fact that we humbly kneel before Christ. Blessed are they that mourn. We weep over our sin to the point of repentance. Not human sorrow, not human weeping, but we also weep over the sin of others and the sin of our nations. Blessed are they that are meek. Last week we talked about those meek people trust in Christ. They commit their way to him. They wait for him. They're teachable. They listen to him. They're wise and they're restorative. Meek people always seek to restore because they've been restored. So that's the first aspect of righteousness. The second is moral. It has to do with our character and conduct. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, one of the places, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what Christ does there is he combines the first, that you have to find righteousness in me, with the second. There's an expected transformation. We are made righteous so that we live righteous. And that's why later on we're going to find that he says, You're salt. You are light in this world. You've heard this, and here's been your interpretation, but I say this. It's way beyond anything you could imagine. And so what he's saying here is that being righteous is more than fire insurance against hell. Righteousness is a way of life. Now, the third aspect is social. It's just not about us. It's also about everyone else. It's about the world we live in. To say it another way is that we as Christians, we seek justice. We take on the relevant issues of our day. Things like slave trade. Things like poverty, orphans, refugees, racism. This past week I read an article from a woman who was deep into the porn industry and talked about the connection between pornography and slave trade. I mean, she was in both. And she actually graduated where she was running an organization that enslaved girls. But one day, when she sat in her living room and was tired of the drugs and the drink, and she was rich beyond measure in terms of wealth in our day, she had the courage to make a phone call to her mom and dad. See, she came out of a family where her mom and dad were ministers. Her dad was a minister in the Presbyterian church. And she left all that. But she became the prodigal who went home, checked into a ministry called Refugee for Women, and her faith was restored. And now she works at a pizza place. (laughs) But that's just the job she works to make money to pay the rent. 
Her life is committed to restoring, and she's on the front lines of helping women and men getting free from sexual addictions in the porn and the prostitution business. An expected transformation. Now, allow me to say something at this point. I know part of our culture is there's a lot of church bashing going on. And in the press, we see the worst of the worst and their statistics to bear certain things out. In America, and this is proven out by research, apart from our government, so we're not talking about government and what they do. We're talking about Christians. Christians in America are the most charitable group of people in the world based upon research. We give more of our time and our resources and our energy than anyone else. Now, having said that, I feel the need to encourage you here. Instead of patting ourselves on the back saying, look how great we are, may I suggest that we have a very long way to go in terms of kingdom of God generosity. When you compare ourselves with the world, we look good. But we don't compare ourselves with the world, do we? That's not our objective. Our objective is to be Christ-like in our generosity. You know, Isaiah 55, verses 2 and 3, the prophet says to Israel, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. See, faith is not a private system of self-improvement. We are made for another world. We are made for God. But we live here for now. And when it says blessed are, we are called to be a great blessing to each other and to our world. We are called to be a community of God's people. We are called to be diverse in our unity. That is both spirit-initiated and spirit-powered. In fact, Jesus says that if we get this unity thing right, it is one of our primary witnesses for Christ. It is that different. It is that unusual. It is that unique. The world sits up and takes notice. And if this thing we call church is so powerful, Satan will try to distract us from it. He will use our desires to try and tear us apart. Let me illustrate with something rather simple. Now, according to Scripture, God has determined that we should meet together. We call that gathering to worship, and we do that on a Sunday morning. Listen to the context where he talks about this in Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Nothing but the blood. By a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he promised, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works. That's part of the righteousness, isn't it? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
It's interesting that in the midst of all this beautiful truth, he talks about getting together with God's people. But when you get together, you encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you get the truth. He says, we're confident in Jesus. We, we live a new, alive life. We have this awesome priest, and Jesus gives us full access. Our hearts are transformed. They're full of faith. They are clean. The water satisfies our thirst. We are a people of hope. Now, think about that with our present reality. Think about today where there should be an intellectual debate over critical issues that face our country and world. Where millions are hungry, millions have no shelter or home, millions of orphans and boys and girls sold into sex slave industry. And rather than a substantive exchange of ideas, what we see in our political debate resembles more two kids in a sandbox hanging onto the toys and throwing sand at each other. Now, do I need to remind you that regardless of what happens this coming election, Christ is alive, he's healthy, he's active, and we get to live out hope to people who feel like there is no hope. Amen? And you notice he goes on to say this. We instigate, that's what, the more, that's what the word means. We instigate love and good works. You know, people incite riots. We incite love and good works. And he says, make sure you get together. And when you get together, make sure you encourage each other. AA has a basic principle. And they say this. If you don't want to go to a meeting, then you must go to a meeting. Now those in recovery know that. They've heard that. Translate that over to the church. If you don't feel like being with God's people, then you must go and be with God's people. Now, I know we rationalize. We say things like, well, people just don't understand me, and and I don't fit in, and they're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't feel comfortable. No one talks to me. I don't like the class. I don't like music. I don't like the preacher. I can worship all by myself. I could go on all morning with everything I've heard over the last 38 years. I was talking to someone this past week that's not part of GBC, and I asked about a particular individual they're friends with, and this person was raised in the church. They got married in the church. They took their kids to church, and they were very active. But this person said, oh, they don't go to church anymore. I said, what? And they said, well, they, they like being home on Sunday mornings now. And they say they don't need the church anymore. Now, we got to be careful when we do church. You know, we gather to worship to an audience of one. We, we gather to remember what Christ has and is and will do. We gather to remember that we're in a battle. And we got to lift each other in prayer. We, are, we, we gather to love one another. And we, we gather to remember there's a transcendent future to all this. That this is not all there is. But we were designed and we were made for a world to come. And that's why we don't feel like we fit in. Because we were never designed for sin and death. We were designed for righteousness. And so Christ says, I will make you righteous, but I want you to live righteous. You know, this hunger and thirsting for God doesn't always be recognized for what it is. Some people say, I just have this empty feeling and there's a sense of longing and loneliness. 
Remember Ecclesiastes? We, we did a series there. You take God out of the picture. And it doesn't matter how successful you are, how much money you make. It doesn't matter what position of power you have. Solomon says, vanity, vanity, meaningless, meaningless, empty, empty. It's all empty. It will not satisfy. So this hunger and thirst for righteousness cannot be filled alone. That's what Christ is saying. We're designed for relationships with him. He's the only one that can make us righteous. But we're also designed for righteousness with each other. We instigate good works. We instigate love. We are there to help each other be righteous. Righteousness is done together. And righteousness is what we do instead of sinning. Now, sin should scare us. It really should. It's deceitful. What that means is it can actually masquerade as righteousness. We can actually be sinning and thinking that we are doing what God has called us to do. That should scare us. It blinds us. We can talk about everybody else's sin and not look at our own. It dominates us when we give ourselves over to it. And we use the word today, addiction. That's what it means by it dominates us. It is destructive. And sin is a battle we cannot fight alone. See, righteousness causes us to think about the possibilities. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, says we are far too easily pleased When we think of righteousness, we're satisfied with one hour every week. We're satisfied with our buildings and we're satisfied with the religious experiences. And then he goes on to say this. We are far too easily pleased that in the end is is the reason why we do not pray more than we do. And I might add, it's why we pray for the things that we pray for. Because often we're not praying for the deep things of God and for the Issues that we engage in on a daily basis. Now, think about GBC for a moment. GBC Grace Baptist Church. When I use that, I hope that's, you know what I mean. Think about possibilities and think about the relationship we have with a variety of drug rehabilitation houses that are not in faith. Now, our society knows. Everyone knows. That addiction to drugs is a very large problem in our culture. Now, here's what I would love to believe. I would love to believe that the church is the first place addicts ask for help. I would love to believe that. Now, the church I'm talking about where Christ is the head, that we are drinking the living water, we are eating the bread of life, But you realize if we become the first place they ask for help, it will impact everything we do. It'll impact our classes. It'll impact what we do on a Sunday morning. It'll impact our budgets. It'll impact our giving. It'll impact our staffing. But I would love to believe that we live in such a countercultural way. And I think about the opportunities and think about the opportunities that are being open to us right now through a variety of houses in Lancaster that are hearing what's going on here. I would love to believe that this is the first place they come and ask for help. Now, let me give you another example. 
How many people here can speak fluent Spanish? Raise your hand. Okay, there's one. There's two. All right. You're going to like this possibility. If you didn't know, a very large population in Lancaster City exists well over 50% are Hispanic origin, many who do not know English. We just had some missionaries from New York, and he's learning to speak Hebrew so he can engage in those eight various groups. And that's necessary to learn their language. Think about missions at home. Think about what it would mean for us to help start an Hispanic congregation for people that do not know English. Well, here's what happened this past month. There's, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, okay? Because I will botch it up. But Pastor Mario, I can get the first. You know, I used to play Mario Kart or whatever that is, so I, that makes sense. But his last name is A-R-A-Y-A. Came to us with his heart and passion to reach non-English speaking Hispanic people. He's from Costa Rica. Served some time church playing with an organization in Mexico. He's been down in New Holland for about the last eight years. Uh, works in various business places as a chaplain for people who have Hispanic workers. But they needed a place to begin what he would call Iglesia Passion Church. A church that is a witness to people speaking another language. So we took some time to properly bet him, hear his story, hear his heart. And I said to myself, what an incredible opportunity. I mean, I, Bev and I were in church planning. We know what it costs to start a church plant. And if we as a church would have decided to start a church plant, thinking about, you know, the amount of money it would have started, but he wasn't asking for any of that. He was asking for space. So he met with some of us, and we sat down at leadership council, took a month to pray about it, and vet him and hear his story. And beginning November, you realize that's like a week away, the first Sunday, 2016, in our old sanctuary on Sunday afternoons, he's going to start a Spanish-speaking congregation. What an incredible opportunity. So if you come here and you walk in and you hear people speaking and you think, what are they saying? Are they speaking in tongues? No, it's actually a tongue you don't know. It's Spanish, and that's okay. And uh, I'm just excited about the possibilities. So... Let me sum everything up in one sentence, because this has kind of been a one-point sermon this morning, okay? And if you didn't get it yet, here it is. We are made righteous, therefore we are to live righteous. We are made righteous, therefore we are to live righteous. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And there are two truths here. This righteousness is our salvation, is our initiation into the kingdom of God, but it's also our sanctification. And again, that's a word that simply means we grow into being like Christ. Every day we are made more holy because we make choices towards who he is. 
And when we drink from the living water and we eat from the living bread, we are satisfied. And it's why we pray for wisdom. It's why we invest in this, in his word. It's why we gather together to worship. We are made righteous. Therefore, we are to live righteous. Now, in a moment, we're going to close with a, an ancient prayer. It's probably familiar to some. And I like the way it describes because for those that are made righteous, it illustrates how we need to pray about being righteous. But I do need to ask this morning, if there's someone here that needs to be made righteous in Christ, you've been hearing and you've heard of this before, and you say, you know what, that's where I need to start. I need to recognize I'm poor in spirit. I need the sorrow that leads to repentance. But I want to be filled So if you're here this morning and you want to make a decision for Christ, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pair somebody with you that will go out with you and and help you navigate this decision. So is there anyone? Just stand to your feet. You don't need to be afraid. Okay, we have a a woman down here. Where's Gloria at? There you are. Do you want to go back with her? Okay. You told me this morning you're ready, right? Okay. Didn't know what happened this quick. She's in the back. And just use the overflow room, Gloria, so we know where to find you then. Anyone else? Here's how we're going to end then. I want you to stand in honor of who God is, and we're going to pray a a prayer of St. Francis of Assisi together. If I can have it on the screen. Let's pray together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is injury, let me bring forgiveness. Where there is discord, let me bring harmony. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. And there's another slide. My fault. Didn't get the whole thing on, and I'll finish it for us. Grant that I may not so seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in forgiving that we are forgiven, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Go and bless someone today.